The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. How do you eat milk and almond? It doesn't uh, bear thinking about. Uh, yes, yes, very good, Sally. You know, I get that every single time from Dev. It's 2019. Milk alternatives exist. All right, all right. Keep your hair on. Probably the lack of calcium that's making you snappy. I mean, it's not milk at all, is it, really? No, it's, it's just water that's been run over almonds. I mean, they might as well call it nut juice. Welcome to episode 48 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that... (laughs) I'm Gavin. And and I'm now married to an American. Yay! That was such good fun yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The weather didn't really cooperate very well, but no, it was horrible. It was awful. Terrible rain. It was awful terrible today traffic. Too. Had to get up at half past five to leave the house at. Oh God, it was like so horrible. Six thirty to get through to Grand Haven for nine o'clock. And we <laughs> made about half an hour to spare, and then we had half an hour hanging about to do. Right. Yeah, and I had to fight for a whole row of seats for <laughs> aging relatives who were taking their sweet time <laughs> getting there and. Turning so many people away. Nope, nope, I'm sorry, I'm saving these. Good nope, for you. I'm sorry, I'm saving these. See, I couldn't do that, I'd just let people sit down. I'm sorry, I can't, I'm saving these. Little old lady with a cane, I'm sorry, you can't sit here. <laughs> you have to stand. <laughs> stand in the back. There are other seats. <laughs> oh, it was oh. good though. Yeah, it was so, good. I'm so, so emotional. proud of you. Oh, thank you. Oh. So emotional. Yeah. I had a wee tear of my, yes. on a number of occasions. Yes. And it wasn't just from the scotch that my uncle gave you. No, because that wasn't until later. <laughs> that was another little surprise later on. So yeah, so I'm a dual citizen. Yay, That's funny. It is it's funny. It's a strange kind of feeling. Yeah. It's a definite feeling though. You feel different. I wouldn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still only a citizen here. But I tell you what, I'm exhausted today. I, I am. I'm so wiped out. Just drained. Yeah. Ugh. But worth it. I need Absolutely. to apply for my passport because I don't have a green card anymore, so I don't have any official documentation that says I'm okay to be here, apart from that certificate, which I don't think I'm supposed to be carrying about with me. No. If I lose it, apparently it costs 535 bucks to replace. But you know what? That information's probably on your driver's license now. Uh, another somewhat lackluster clutch of episodes this week. I felt an awful lot of time spent on stuff that I'm either not interested in or actively annoys me. No comment. Oh, you're not commenting? <laughs> I will comment this is going to be later. a very short podcast. Oh, right, okay. I will comment later. I will I will keep my thoughts to myself at the moment because, yeah. But I'm pleased to announce that you are wearing, finally, the third week of asking, Woohoo! your hashtag Canna shirt. Yes, I am. If destroyed, still true. Those tears just make me laugh. 
<laughs> She's got the faces really, really well done. She really does, especially Kate's, like the the shape of the mouth while it's crying. That's is... totally that kind of smiling, yeah. crying face that she's yeah. got, isn't it? Yeah, good job, well done, Cat. Shall we preamble, my dear? Sure. Our mailbag, Chris. Yes, that one. We got in touch. Wrote quite a lengthy email to us this week, which I'm going to do my best just to summarise. He's behind in terms of the show and the podcast, and in catching up by listening to us, he mm-hmm. was disappointed that we spoiled the roof collapse slash ran a thing. Oh, well, then Oops. watch the damn show. You're not even Canadian, Chris, so you have no excuse. <laughs> I did actually feel quite bad about that. About spoiling it for the Canadians? Because we typically try to be good at not spoiling things. But we're a um, catch-up podcast. But so. we did talk about things that were going to happen in the future. Hmm. So we talked about the roof collapse before the roof collapse happened. I think it's fair game once it's once it's happened. Of course you yeah. can see it. But, but I it mean, happens. there was so much foreshadowing. I mean, how many times did Gary say that roof's going to collapse? You know? Yeah. It was one of those things that, was it really a spoiler? Yeah, yeah it kind of was. I think we should stick to speculation wherever we can possibly try yeah then john wrote in to say that it was good to see some brief scenes with dev last week he really needs to get a bigger storyline and he always makes me laugh his double act with steve doing the achy break of heart was my moment of the week says john that was funny that was pretty and i do like dev and you know i i enjoy i enjoy the uh the chemistry between dev and steve and tim i like i like that bromance the three of them have going yeah me too so Hopefully it'll continue in the future. Hindsight Corner. A blue, 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 blue. Oh, the name of Jan's Bulgarian builder friend wasn't Keith and it wasn't Senga. <laughs> and it wasn't Cyril. Have you remembered it since? No. It was, in fact, Anton. Anton, that's right. Yeah. Then John helped out with some hindsight corner facts. Nick has been played by three heads over the years, he says. Really? When John started watching Corey in 1990, Brian was already dead, and Nick was played by Warren Jackson up until 1996-97, when the Adam Ricketts took over. He was out of it for years before Nick arrived with Ben Price's head in 2009. Hmm. Has he always, he's always been blonde, though, yes? Oh, yeah. All right. I thought Game of Thrones started this Sunday. Yeah, it started last Sunday. It didn't. It started on April 14th, so apologies to anyone daft enough to trust me getting anything right. Right, yeah. What did you think of the Game of the Thrones? Oh, I, you know, I was kind of laying in bed re- recovering earlier today and was just like, so like blah and everything. And then I remembered we have a new Game of Thrones on Sunday and it cheered me right up. Does it really? It There's really only did. five episodes left. I though. don't want to think about that. I remember once upon a time when I said, I do not want to watch the Game of Thrones because, you know, too many boobs, too many rapey scenes. This isn't, you know, too many heads getting chopped off. There's floofs as well. It's not just boobs, there's floofs. Right. And yeah. there are also the occasional penis. The occasional wiener. Yes, wiener, which wiener, I appreciate. Wiener, wiener. I do appreciate the occasional penis. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be the name of my band, the occasional penis. <laughs> but... Yeah, I uh, I I liked it. I liked the uh, the friction between Sansa and Daenerys. I find that very interesting. And uh, I, 
forgive me person on Twitter who pointed it out. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't realize that. Uh, in the scene in the tombs when John's there, mm-hmm. you know, looking at his dead dad statue. Yep. And Samuel comes down and explains to him about his about his mother. Yes. That's a callback to the last scene ever between John and Ned Stark. Yeah. And Ned Stark, where Ned Stark says, the next time we meet, I'll tell you about your mother. Oh. Yeah. There's lots of callbacks. Yeah, there's lots of huge... It's when, when John and Alia get back together, it was just... I started tearing up. I thought it was a bit recappy. Well... And Danny, God bless her, she can't act. Emilia Clark, she's not the best, is she? I think she's no, I'm sorry, Emilia Clark. that's... She's better than you. Well, that remains to be seen. <laughs> anyway, this you is my Game of Thrones off, You podcast. can't pull off a blonde wig like that. As far as I can make out... Tolmat hasn't changed. He hasn't? No. He just looks different. He just looks a bit different. And he doesn't look quite as tall. I had problems remembering who else in Alia's life, other than Luke, didn't get justice. And you thought it might have been her dad. And it was her dad. From Cory Wiki in May 2015, Cal proposed to Leanne in the rover's backyard, but realised that he didn't have the ring and left to go get it. Mm-hmm. Later, Cal and Leanne went into 12 Victoria Court to rescue Amy Barlow after her mother, Tracy, accidentally started a fire there. <laughs> but the trio became trapped when the roof caved in and blocked the door. The oh, another fu- roof caving in. The fire brigade arrived and got Amy and Leanne out of the building to safety, but then a gas canister caught fire and caused an explosion, killing Cal. His body was later recovered from the <sighs> flat in a body bag, where it was then trampled on by a marauding herd of Pamplona bulls and had a nuclear warhead detonate in the middle of it. Those two last things might not have happened. You say it was So no wonder that she's so very devastated by this whole roof collapse killing her best friend yeah she's when... got a thing about roofs yeah is it roofs or is it roofs 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 not roofs they're not hooves because it is hooves though isn't it yes <laughs> what are you drinking i am as always here with my key lime Lacroix, as always and then i have a new brand of kombucha to try out organic brew doctor kombucha the flavour is love. <laughs> love flavour? What does love taste like? Love. Lavender, would you believe? Oh. And tea and honey and rose and chamomile. What are you drinking? I am drinking a Diet Verner's. Yay. And a Glen Morangi Quinta Ruben Port Cask Finish Whiskey. Yes. Which, Age 12 years. Which was... A gift. The gift from your Uncle Henry. That is correct. We were in a restaurant after the... The ceremony. The Paisley Pig in Grand Haven. Two thumbs up. Yeah, it was great. Uh, and I wish I'd got more than the burger, but I thought I was paying. <laughs> <laughs> so I just got the 11 buck burger <laughs> and not the $30 crab cakes that I had my own. Yeah, and I got the $14 chorizo and potato warm salad as opposed to the duck and waffles that I really wanted <laughs> because I thought you were paying. Yeah. Was it turned out your Uncle Henry and your, your dad paid? Yes. So? They worked together on oh something. Well. That doesn't happen very often. No, but then your Uncle Henry said to me, got two bits of advice for you after becoming a, a citizen. He says, try your best to assimilate. <laughs> I've just been here for seven years. Try your best to assimilate and don't forget your heritage. And this will help you do both. And he gave me the bottle of whiskey. I was really touched. Yes, it was nice. I was not expecting that at all. Yeah. Our friend Steve was thrilled to meet Uncle Henry. (laughs) 
<laughs> he said my was. Uncle Henry was the closest he'd ever gotten to meeting a real cowboy. Yeah, I think your Uncle Henry quite liked that. <laughs> yes. He had a cowboy hat on right enough. Yes, he does. He's from Montana. He's from Montana, he's allowed to. Yes, yes. Yeah, that was great. It was just uh, your family had come out from Montana, Montana, New Hampshire, and Connecticut, and technically Florida. And my team had travelled the hundred and odd miles. <laughs> right, from Lansing to Grand Haven. To be there, so my co-workers were there. Yeah. And then my friend Steve was there. Right. Oh, just... And then my realtor turned up. Right, yes, <laughs> because she had another person. <laughs> that was really weird and random, but oh, Rochelle really was weird. great. That was that was great. It was all good. Shall, yeah. Shall we dive in, my dear? I guess we're going to have to, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, this is going to be heavy going, so strap yourselves in. Yeah. The first story is about Carla's bunk. They can't all be good weeks. They can't all be good. No. No. This, no... And I don't think our favourite director was working this week. I don't think he was anywhere near that, no. No. So, Carla's bunk then. I don't think I really minded this story quite as much as some of the, as some of the others. It's morning on Monday and Peter has been everywhere looking for Carla but had no luck. He's been everywhere, man. She's taken her kidney meds with her though, so she had her meds on her when she went to the clinic. Because she just left the clinic and then disappeared, right? She didn't go back home and picked up her meds or anything, did she? Maybe she did. Maybe they were in her bag. It was a very large bag. Steve will have a word with the other drivers again to keep their eyes peeled, and he sends Peter home for a rest. Then Imran and Toya see this as they head to the lawyer's office. He thinks that Carla legging it is a sign of her guilt. Wayne is in Roy's rolls reading the paper, and then in comes Imran, who sits with him. Without looking up, Wayne says the police have the report. That was quite funny. Mm-hmm. Imran congratulates him on dragging his feet and allowing the main culprit to escape. Wayne is interested to hear this and leaves. And then Seb asks for a shifty at Wayne's paper that he's left behind, so Imran hands it to him, and we see that under the paper is a menu, and under the menu is Wayne's report that he said he'd handed into the police. This must be Wayne's copy of the report. So right. It's got to be more than one copy of the report, so I don't know why anybody would care. Sure. Imran picks it up, and Wayne, who's come back in, catches him. What the fuck are you up to, he says. Nay. Yeah. Imran claims he wasn't going to look at the report. He was totally going to look at the report. Absolutely. And Wayne's not buying it. Imran doesn't see what the big deal is because the report will be made public anyway and then everyone will see how guilty Garla? Garla. Carla Connor really is. Imran demands to know who was responsible for his sister's death and Gary has to pull Imran back. I really don't know why Imran has given Wayne such a hard time about this. Because he's got to have some sort of scapegoat and Carla's not around. Is that it? I think so. Because he's been a total asshole to, yeah. to Wayne and has been for her. Yeah, and hasn't at all to the police. But I think Wayne is an easy target. He's nerdy and shorter than Imran and is there all the time. Yeah. So it's a constant reminder. Whereas, you know, the police aren't there all the time. Gary, Seb and Nick watch Imran suspiciously. Hmm. Then the Connors are discussing Carlos whereabouts in the Rovers. No one's heard a peep. Kate reckons she'll turn up when she's made... Beep. Kate reckons that she'll. <laughs> Kate reckons she'll turn up when she's made it all about her as per usual. Says Kate. Yikes. Says Kate Connor. Yikes. Then in comes Peter, and Michelle asks how Peter could let this happen, and Peter accuses Michelle of being too interested in her love life. Kate then announces that Carl will be back when she's squeezed out the maximum amount of sympathy for herself. Says Kate Connor. Kate Connor, who had to have two memorials for her dead fiance. Correct. Kate. Oh, that's good whiskey. It is. Oh. 
Thank you, Uncle Henry. Peter is furious that no one has taken this seriously. Carla thinks Rana is alive and everyone is out to get her. And with this family, who can blame her? Then Yasmin discovers that someone has broken into Wayne's car. His report has been stolen. Yasmin swears that she didn't do it. Of course she <laughs> like didn't. Like she done. Right, yeah, but because she's there, Wayne's kind of like, what have you done? She's like, it's not me. Wayne knows exactly who did this. Hmm. And again, because the report is coming out anyway. And because there's obviously more than one copy of it. And it's also probably saved to someone's hard drive somewhere and probably also in the cloud. Yeah. It's like, one wh- hard, wh- why would anybody steal one hard copy of a report that there's probably more than one copy of? This doesn't make any sense. It seems a very large risk to take for very little benefit. Right, yeah. Unless it's somebody who desperately wants to read the report, I guess. And doesn't want to wait, I guess. So Roy... <laughs> so yeah this was the first kind of silly thing of the week i think and it wouldn't be the last no so at devs nick comes in for plasters he's got a nasty paper cut he mm. asks toya to ask if she's seen imran recently mm. she hasn't and asks why oh no reason and nick leaves right but enough where he got his paper cut from Imran is meeting Claudia in the bistro to discuss important legal matters, despite having an office just down the street. Well, you know, I mean, Paula used to meet Sally and Tim and stuff in restaurants and stuff. Yeah, that sometimes, was equally stupid. Sometimes it's nice to meet clients, not in the stuffy office all the time. In comes Wayne and he asks Robert how long Imran has been in. Robert isn't comfortable being asked these questions and tells him to speak to Wayne himself, not speak to Imran himself. Yeah, because he doesn't know who he is. And at this, Imran looks to leave. Wayne explains about the stolen report and accuses Imran. Meanwhile, Peter is at home and on the phone to Carla's answering machine. He asks her to come home and tells her that he loves her. Then in come the Connors and Kate is apologetic for not taking it seriously and Michelle apologises for blaming Peter. Johnny put it down to a wild weekend and Peter explains how mentally unstable she is. It's worse than after Frank. Michelle says, we need to find her. <laughs> Back at the bistro, Imran Although says... Although it is Peter's fault. Some of this is Peter's fault. Remind me which bits are Peter's fault? Just the way that he's kind of been not paying attention to the fact that she's going crazy. The fact that he tried to he tried to get her to do a runner, which made things a hundred times worse. The fact that he did get her to go with him to do the whole boat thing made her look suspicious and made everything even worse. The oh, fact yeah. that he paid off Gary makes everything worse. Mm-hmm. The fact that he tried to manipulate her into spending time with her family that weren't ready to forgive her yet made everything worse. Mm-hmm. It's almost like Peter's been trying to make everything worse, isn't it? I'm still not convinced that he's <laughs> I'm trying to sell doing you this. it on purpose. I'm to sell you this. Still not convinced. I think there were aspects of this week that made me doubt whether that's actually the case because now he's... I'm not sure what he's gaining out of... Out of her... Trying to find her. Although I guess he has to... <sighs> At least give appearances that he's trying to find her. Right, and you seemed to think that he was very intentionally trying to keep her... Oh, within reach at all times. Within reach at all times. So this is definitely not within reach at all times. Yeah, so that would explain why he's so keen. So maybe he still is. Yeah. Back at the bistro, Imran says he'd be... He'd have to be pretty stupid to nick the report after what happened earlier. Wayne says, no one says you're not stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Zing! He's never met... Imran's legal partner, Adam. 
the guy who plays uh, Wayne, uh-huh. his real name is Adam Barlow. No, it's not. <laughs> That's <laughs> crazy. Uh, yep. Was he always named Adam Barlow? I mean, I'm, no. <laughs> <laughs> you have to ask his mom. <laughs> That's not what I meant. Was he always the actor who played this role when he was the foster child? Oh, no, 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 no. Well, I don't think so. No, because he was a wee boy. He was just a wee boy. Right, but that was a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. No, they haven't got the same actor back, I don't think. In comes the police just as Imran is about to call the police. They ask him to accompany them to the station. Dum, dum, dum! So Nick sees Imran getting lifted, and Imran wonders what the hell must be in this report that Wayne has got the flying squad on speed dial. He thinks there's something explosive in this report. Oh, for Pete's sake. Imran isn't impressed at the chat with the police has taken place in a big scary interview room and not just in a, what, a, a small, A regular conference room. Uh-huh. Yeah, because he's like, if you just want to ask me some questions, if I'm not being arrested for anything, then why are you, why'd you put me in the interrogation room? Imran says that he didn't try to steal the report and he didn't break into Wayne's car. He was meeting Claudia at the bistro. Please ask if Imran would have opened the report if Wayne hadn't come back, which seemed a strange question to ask. Would you have done something? Well, I, the fact is that I didn't. Surely that's all that matters. No. Imran is a lawyer. He upholds the law. Why would he break into the car? <laughs> Impatience, suggests the police. Imran isn't unsettled by this at all, and he insists that he had no intention of looking into the file. Now, why don't we get back to the main business at hand? Nailing Carla to the wall. Yeah, because... All lawyers uphold the law. Yeah. Back home, Kate and Johnny are both worried sick. Kate insists that she'll be fine. Carla, that is. Before the factory collapsed, Johnny would have believed her. But too much shite has happened to this family this year. Johnny goes back to the bar to take his mind off things, but before he can do that, the police are there to release Rana's personal effects to her. Imran, as next of kin, because they're definitely not married, thought that Kate should have them. Toya's back in Dev's buying almond milk. Evelyn thinks... Evelyn? Evelyn? Evelyn. Evelyn thinks it's a little more than nut juice. In comes Claudia asking after Imran. She tells Toya that Imran has been arrested, which isn't strictly true. No. She explains about Wayne's accusations, and then Claudia gets a call from the police, where they corroborate Imran's story. Correct. Then Imran's bored as the police bring up his living with Nick. They ask if they ever discuss the business. Imran says no, and is keen to know why they're asking. They refuse to answer, and Imran jumps to the conclusion that it was an insurance job and Nick is implicated. Kate is sobbing as she looks at the envelope with Rana's stuff. Maybe her vows are in there. Johnny gives her a private moment, and Kate goes through the stuff and sobs some more. Her phone's there, but like Rana, it's dead. Oh, oh, that's, that's... Are you proud of yourself? I feel quite bad. Are you proud of yourself? <laughs> I'm not. I've, I've looked away as soon as I said shame. it. Shame. <laughs> shame. Dong, dong. Shame. Dong, dong. Kate takes it and leaves. Then Imran... <laughs> then Imran is back on the street and runs into Wayne. Wayne reckons Imran is stalking him. Imran tells him that D.S. Beckett, because that's the policewoman's name, told him all about the sabotage. And Wayne stumbles on his words. He can't discuss that. Imran says, you don't have to and advises Wayne to never play poker. Then Kate's back in the flat looking for a charger. She plugs in Rana's phone, which, unlike Rana, comes back to life. <laughs> Are you proud of yourself? <laughs> it's a twofer. Does this make you feel better about yourself? It's a twofer. And the fact that you're still alive. She listens to the voicemails. <laughs> Sk- skating on. It comes back rather quickly, too. 
Oh, it That's looks a like it's powerful battery. It's charging at an incredible rate of knots. Seriously. Then Kate's in the rover speaking with Peter and Johnny. She plays messages that Carla left for Rana, begging for her to come back. Peter thinks Imran should hear that. See if he thinks it's the voice of a murderer. Then <laughs> Nick's back late. Toya tells him about Imran getting lifted for stealing the report. And Nick wonders if he did it and then fills Toya in on what happened at Roy's Rolls earlier. Imran then calls Toya and asks to meet in the rovers. He thinks he knows what's in that report. So Peter and Kate talk about Carla falling to pieces. She kept it together after Aiden for her and Johnny. Kate thanks Imran for the stuff and then plays one of the Carla messages. Imran doesn't think it means that she's not responsible. She's she's apologising, which implies guilt. Peter pretends that he's going to attack Imran, but is held back. Then Imran says the look on Wayne's face said it all. It was sabotage and he thinks Nick might be the one who stole the report. The police were asking a lot of questions about him and the police have all the evidence they need. Carla or Nick or both of them. Someone's going to pay for this. Interesting. Because remember before the roof collapsed, like one of the last scenes we see of Nick before the roof collapses, like the day before, that Nick is on the phone with someone and he says he doesn't care how it happens. He just wants Carla to pay. Interesting. Interesting choice of words by Imran. Calling back to that. Oh, someone's going to pay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then on Wednesday, we kind of change tact here and we, we lose Imran and Wayne and we move on to Nick, mostly. Yes. Leanne meets Nick in Roy's roles. Nick has something on his mind. He walked in on Toya and Imran whispering about him, but he isn't sure what they were talking about. He wonders if Imran figured out something about the roof and he gets Leanne to quiz Toya about it. Toya and Leanne are getting a drink at the Rovers and Leanne comes straight to the point about Nick to her. Uh, Toya explains that the police think that the factory collapse was sabotage. She doesn't think Nick is guilty, but she thinks it's easy to see why the police might. Because mm-hmm. he hasn't been... Forthright. And he's had money problems and stuff. Correct. Then Nick turns up at the barbers. He explains to David about the roof sabotage. Imran and Toya think that he had something to do with it. He's going to go to the police to explain his side of the story about the money that went through the accounts. David thinks he should skip the middleman then and just go straight to prison. Nick says either he brings it up or the police do, and he'd rather be in control of it. Yes. Then Nick is talking with the police. He claims the money was from his savings that he put through the company accounts and then saw sense and paid his ex-wife after all. He was just trying to hide it from her. Which is which is not the truth, but it's not a lie either. Well, it is because it wasn't his savings. It was Audrey's money. Right. But it was money that he was trying to hide from his ex-wife, that he eventually paid to his ex-wife. Well, he paid some of it. Yes. Because how much, how much did he steal again? Was it 40? Yeah, because he I didn't... I remember. I, and I don't think he put all of it through Underworld. Hmm. Anyway. So it's, it's truth adjacent. It, it, there's enough... There's enough in it to make it a convincing lie, I think. Oh, yeah, from that point of view, yeah. it seems like they bought it. It's convincing, yeah. Yeah. Then Nick is back at the barbers explaining how it went with the cops. David thinks the police now know that he's a liar. He's in business with an idiot. <laughs> they were in the clear until the roof collapsed, and now the police know that he has money here, money there, starting up businesses, lying to them, but Nick insists that he put his neck on the block for both of their sakes. Think that's true? No. No. Because Nick only does things for Nick's sake. I think he would gladly sell David down the river to save his own neck. There's there's something that happens a little later on that kind of makes me feel like he feels that way about both of his siblings. 
I was kind of expecting to find out the contents of this report on Friday, and it's not mentioned at all. No, no, they're dragging this out as opposed to who's sending the spooky text messages from the grave, which they blew right away. Yeah, they shot their load in that within 24 hours. <sighs> I'm still angry about that. Yeah, me too. So where do you think we're going with this storyline? Nick's under a certain amount of pressure here, right? Yeah. He's guilty of something. I just don't know what it is. 100%. So we're I not... agree. I don't think he was the one that was on the roof. No. But I think Our... maybe he orchestrated it. Our next story then is about Gary's money woes again. Isn't this how we ended the week? No. How'd we end it? Oh, we ended the week with something stupid. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> All right. On Monday, back at number eight, Gary's tidying up after breakfast. He gets a text, but we don't see what it was. Bethany and Emma are looking for a loyalty card for a pizza place, and Gary can't help. Bethany makes some idle chit-chat to be pleasant about Gary's day, but he's snippy with her, saying that he'll be hoeing stuff about and mixing uh, concrete as per usual. He gets another text as he leaves, and it's from Rick. He needs to meet Gary later. Bethany and Emma are back from town, and Bethany sees Gary driving off in the van dressed in a suit and tie. What's that all about if you're going to be mixing concrete all day? Yeah, that's right. Now that Rick's Gary is late, Rick has a massive mug that says, I'm the daddy. Gary hasn't scared up any loans. He's not good at being a salesman. It just isn't him. Rick says that Gary's ex-army and ex-private security. And Gary's phased a little bit that Rick has found this out. Rick has an idea better suited to Gary's skill set and gives Gary a list of outstanding customers. This job better be more him. Mm-hmm. So he's employed now as being a, a heavy for the loan shark. Yeah. I, uh, Emma and Bethany were delightful with the whole mini golf thing. See, the show can be funny in in subtle, lovely little touches that are funny and give us a break from all the heavy stuff in a charming, simple way that yeah. I appreciate. Yeah, there was the uh, was it Bethany that kept on calling it mini golf, and Emma kept on correcting her that it was golf adventure or something, adventure golf, adventure golf. Yeah, that was quite amusing. And, and but Emma, Emma just does it really well. Yes. And Bethany too, to give her credit. Mm-hmm. They do the, the slight, the believable kind of just right. minutia chit-chat. Right, and it's kind of like a who's on first situation. Right. Yeah, it was do, good. Yeah, they do that it well. It's good. They that... do that kind of comedy quite well. Yes, yes they do. There's other types of comedy though. <sighs> Skating on. Yeah, Gary's home claiming to have mixed cement all day, but Sarah thinks he's smelling quite nice. And comes mm. Bethany with a nice bear that Emma won at Adventure Golf. Gary goes upstairs and Bethany asks when Gary got changed because he was in a suit earlier today. And Sarah quickly realises that she's been lied to. Mm-hmm. Again. Mm-hmm. Then later Gary is showered and is downstairs. Sarah asks about the suit while Bethany's there. Gary denies it and Bethany reckons that he's up to something. Gary continues to deny it but Bethany is insistent. Sarah smiles nervously knowing that Gary is lying. Yes. Then on Wednesday, Gary's getting packed up to get ready for work. Sarah notices that his hands are unusually clean. Then Gail's back from Milan. Yay! Yay! With Gary gone, Gail is concerned that something's wrong with Sarah, but she plays it down and insists everything is hunky-dory. Everything is awesome! Gary bumps into Alex on the street and encourages him to pay back Rick as quickly as he can. And then Gary shows up at Rick's and then is introduced to Sharon, a heavy, who'll be working with him. Yeah... Rick gives him his first job. It's someone who's moved thinking that they could throw Rick off the scent. Go teach him a lesson, says Rick. Why is Rick a terrible villain? Why is he, why is he terrible? 
because it, it doesn't because work. Because he's a stereotype. It just doesn't because work. Because he's a cliche. Because he's got that chin. <laughs> it's sizable now that you know. That, <laughs> w- as soon as you mention it, you can't not see it. Right, yeah. It's a decent size. And it just, he works at cliches. And because, uh, who goes to a loan shark anymore? Instead of, as, as opposed to like a, a payday loan place or, or something like that. It just, it seems like an antiquated villain to have on the street. Oh, yeah, it's a very 1990s type villain. That's very generous, 1990s. I was thinking 1980s, <laughs> 1970s. Well, well, it won't split hairs over the decade, but, but yeah. yeah, it just, it doesn't really make an awful lot of sense. He's not very good at threatening Gary. I think it's restricted by what they can show because they're very careful not to show him beating people up. You kind of see the aftermath of it. But then they give him stupid things to do like clean his spider plant and he's called, he's given his spider plant a name. Is it Susan? And then after, spoiler alert, he's about to beat up Gary. But and then after he beats up Gary, he kind of tucks himself in and then goes off for a sandwich. And it's like, really? Right. And says if really? there's any... And it says to Sharon, if there's any blood on the carpet, stick it on, add his, tab. It on his tab. Really? Clean up in here. It's, it's almost like they're trying to make him comical. Yeah, am and I, am the I whole, meant to be finding this funny? Because I'm not. And then the whole weird thing with the bear last week. Oh, the puppetry? Yeah. That fu- oh, jeez. What was that all about? I don't know. Anyway. And also, you know, once again, this guy's been wandering back and forth on Coronation Street and... Has successfully avoided Rita. Yeah. It's a personal touch that I like, you know. <laughs> Gary and Sharon get to the car ahead of their job. Then Gary gets a call from Sarah, but dingies it. They drive off and we see that Sarah has been waiting in her car because she has a car all of a sudden and she follows them. Mm-hmm. Then back at number eight, Sarah reveals to Gail that she's followed Gary and talks about his suspicious behaviour. I hate this. Sarah thinks he's playing away from home with Sharon. Sarah doesn't think that... Uh, but but, sh- but she's confused because Sharon isn't his type. type. By she, which she means... Sharon's fat. She's a bit chubby, yeah. And and that's just... Well, first of all, the, the, the big, ugly woman with her hair pulled back being, being the heavy. It's just like, oh, come on. And then for, you know, Sarah to be so offended that Gary might be having an affair with with a heavy set woman. Yeah. Just, come on, guys. <laughs> it's bad enough there aren't exactly a lot of heavy people on the show to begin with, but then we gotta we gotta be knocking the few chubby people we get. Mm. Come on. You're better than this. And also it's ridiculous that Sarah lost them when she was following them. Yeah, the road works. Yeah. Yeah, she lost seeing a van she's well familiar with. And that's just like, come on, she's going to follow them. Have her follow them. Yeah. But she can't because she would find out what he was doing. Right, yeah. So then, don't have her follow them. Then right. Have just her just maybe... standing there. Yeah, walking by or something. Because now I'm wondering, when did, when did Sarah get a car? Has she always had a car? When did, she, when did she park it? I think she's always had a car. She must have. Why did we never see it? Because she's never had to use it before. Yeah, I thought it was strange. 
Yeah, so Sarah thinks that maybe it was a client or something. Gail reminds her that she never thought she should have taken Gary back after the Nicholas situation. Which, fair point. Gail has a point, yeah. So Gary and Sharon turn up at the house of this person with a bad loan, and wouldn't you believe it, it's Irish Tina. It really is. Sharon isn't in the mood for the sob stories and instructs Gary to go through her stuff to find anything worthwhile in payment. Sharon nabs Irish Tina's laptop and is about to get the TV when Irish Tina attacks. Sharon slaps Irish Tina to the ground. Irish Tina attacks. attacks. Sharon slaps her to the ground and Irish Tina knows Sharon. She was in the same position that Irish Tina was in and is working at this to pay back Rick. And she wonders what else Sharon is doing for Rick. Like maybe a wee bit of... Sharon goes to attack Irish Tina and then in a scene that doesn't look like it was choreographed by Jackie Chan (laughs) Gary somehow bundles Sharon into a cupboard and tells Irish Tina to do a runner all the while Sharon screaming that Rick will kill his family Gary drives off leaving Sharon chasing after him on foot yeah and it's not Irish Tina's laptop it's it's her it's her son's laptop her son who's in college now so well done Tyler for (laughs) Really for getting your around. life to back together and getting in college, that's impressive. Although Sherrod, of course, says that there's no way her waste of space son yeah. is, is going to college. And it's like, oh, poor St- Tyler. Stay in school, kids. <laughs> Gary parks and calls Sarah. He tells her to get Harry. Well, he leaves a message on her answer machine. He tells her to get Harry and get out on of the house. On her voicemail. She doesn't have an answering machine. She has a giant answering machine along with her cell phone. You know what I mean. <laughs> He'll explain later. Sarah doesn't answer. She's in the pub continuing to badmouth Gary to Gail. Then Gary arrives back in the street looking for Sarah but finds Bethany who seems vindicated when she sees Gary in a suit and tie again. Gary tells Bethany to get Harry and go someplace safe. Then Gary phones Izzy and tells her to go careful when she picks up Jake. And then he calls Rick and tells him that he's on his way. It was weird because it seemed like at first he was going to say the same thing to Izzy, you know, to to get out and be careful and go away. But then he stops and reconsiders and just says, "Ah, just play it safe when you go to pick up the kid at school. Yeah, it's like he thinks, well, she's in a wheelchair. (laughs) Rick's probably not going to hurt her. Nah, she's fine. Then Sarah and Gail are back home and Bethany is all, all ready to do a runner. Gary's in some kind of trouble, she says. They need to get out of there. Then Gary's at Rick's ready to face the music. He calls Rick a thief and seems uh, <laughs> seems he took it seems that he took a client's dialysis machine last week for an outstanding seven hundred pound loan or something. Which again, I think that's meant to be funny. And he says that, and he says that the dialysis machine was for his liver. And Gary corrects him and says, "No, ma- no, mate, that's that's for the kidneys." Yeah, that's meant to be funny, right? Right? I don't know why they, because why I'm thinking. Funny? I'm thinking if you stole a dialysis machine off of a man, the fuck is he going to do with it? Yeah, what and what's what's Rick going to do with a dialysis machine? Medical equipment can be quite expensive, and we could probably resell it on the black market. But still, this means that he's condemned a man to die. Although I don't know, maybe the NHS will give the guy another one. Probably. Yeah. Come on then, says Gary. Let's get this over and done with. Punch me in the face. Rick reveals that Gary owes 11 grand and now he has Irish Tina's debt too. As well as Alex's. Gary thinks this is unreasonable. Gary wants him to take it out on his face and leave his kids out of it. And Rick reveals that he knows all about his kids. All All of them. them. Yeah, he's done his homework. And all of the different mums. Yeah. And he tells Sharon to lock the door. Likes to spread it around as our Gary, says Rick. Which again... Is this a menacing thing to say? But it's funny because Sharon says something very similar when they're trying to, when they're there to rough up Irish Tina. She says something about, 
you know. Oh, God, he's kids. Oh, uh, yeah. Because I guess three is a lot now. Seemingly. <laughs> he's done his homework and tells Sharon to lock the door. Later, Rick has got Gary up against a wall and covered his face in strawberry jam. He'll be in touch with Gary very soon, and then he goes off to get a sandwich. Gary asks Sharon, who looks a bit uneasy at the jam thing, must be bored of a marmalade girl. How can she go along with this, She say, he says. She tells him to do one, which he does. And then it seems that somehow, Gary's got his hands on Alex's passport. I think there was like a diversionary thing going on there at some point. Did I miss something? I think just like in the middle of the roughing up that, you know... Gary must have been up against the table or the desk at some point and just seen them and swiped them. But it kind of seems like that was Gary's plan all along, was to get them somehow by getting Jam on his face? Rick to beat to beat him up and smear him with corn syrup mixed with ketchup oh. on the back of his head. Yes, he on the wasn't back of his head. Hit. Oh. It was so distracting that she, the splotches on the back of Gary's head. I was just like... Can somebody please just clean him up, please? <laughs> oh, Friday, Sarah and Bethany are back home. Gary has been missing all night, and neither of them have an idea of what's going on, and Gail thinks that he's having an affair. Bethany tells Sarah about the suit and tie again. Mm-hmm. Then Izzy and Sarah and Bethany are at Roy's Rolls, and Izzy explains about the weird Does phone Gail message. Does think he's having an affair after the whole, you need to get out, everybody needs to get out, it's very dangerous, somebody's coming after me? Yes. You know what was funny about that whole thing? What? Is Sarah says, you know, that they're supposedly in fear of their lives. Sarah tells Bethany to bundle up Harry and get all of his stuff together and to get out. That she's going to go to the lot and look for him. And then she says, and mom, you stay here. <laughs> it's like, Gail... We're willing to sacrifice you for the good of everyone else. Yep. Just in case Gary comes back, you stay here. And she doesn't seem to object, which no. was weird. You're going to be our sacrifice. Yes. Izzy and Sarah and Bethany are at Roy's Rolls. Izzy explains about the weird phone message from yesterday and doesn't know any more. Sarah says that they'll just have to wait a little bit longer because it hasn't been 24 hours and they can't contact the police just yet. That's what Izzy says, yes. Then we see Gary get out of his van. He's still got jam on his face and he's about to call Sarah. And then he doesn't. At number eight, the police are on the phone looking to speak with Gary about the factory roof. Sarah tells Bethany about Gary taking Peter's bribe. And now Carla's missing, Gary's missing, and the roof was sabotaged. Yes, which she finds, which she has just found out because while she's at the lot, Nick comes by and tells her about the roof being sabotaged. And, that, and, and seems to insinuate, seems to put the idea in Sarah's head that Gary might be involved somehow in that sabotage. Yes, he definitely plants which, a seed. Yes, which is just proof that Nick will throw both of his siblings well under that bus. Yep. At the builder's yard, Rick and Sharon are there, and the two of them have stripped the yard of everything, even the kettle. Well, how's Gary meant to make money now? Rick would suggest that he would be a man with a van, but he won't be, because, because he produces the van's V5, because of course he's found it, and he makes Gary sign the van over to him. That's them quits now. Rick sends him off, he'll see him around, and then Gary's phone rings, and it's Sarah, but he doesn't answer it. Now, the yard does not belong to Gary. No, although it does have a sign-up saying Gary Windass Construction. Yes, but it doesn't belong to him. No. I'm assuming the van does belong to him, and his tools did belong to him. Correct. Do you think everything in that yard belonged to him, or does quite a bit of it 
belong to Jason? Well, some of the office stuff, but what who it belongs to doesn't really matter. What's happened is that Rick has taken any means that Gary has to earn money. Right. But he's also taking stuff that doesn't belong to Gary. I don't think Rick really gives a fuck about that, though, does he? Well, it it seems like he doesn't. However, a good loan shark would not take... (laughs) A good loan shark? Would not take stuff that doesn't belong to the person that owes him money because if the actual owner turns up and starts demanding their stuff back, they could charge the loan shark with theft because they don't care. You know, this this guy that works for me owes you money. That's fine. You still can't have my stuff for it. You can't threaten me. I don't owe you money. Give me back my stuff or I'm calling the cops. And then that's the end of the loan shark. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe overthinking this a little. <laughs> it just, it doesn't make... I, You know, it just seems... And how did he get in? Because the yard was locked. Does he ha- does he have a key now, Rick? How did he- and how did I have no idea. And how did those two people so quickly pack up everything in that yard? I found that quite suspicious as well. Yeah, Rick and the Sharon character packed up have packed everything, everything up. in the yard and taken most of it. It seems already because it seems really empty in yeah, there. Yeah, it was kind of gutted. Yeah. Right, and there's a lot of heavy machinery that was in there, like saws and and stuff, rotary saws and stuff. Well, remember, somebody this stole... This is so stupid. Somebody stole the factory roof during a wedding. I would imagine that would take a little bit of doing. So maybe, maybe it's like the movie Interstellar, where the closer you get to a black hole, the stranger time moves. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe they're close to a black hole. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't we shouldn't start taking pictures of black holes because then everything starts to go wonky. Yeah, and Rick is able to steal lots of stuff. Yeah, very quickly. Mm. At the cabin, Brian is moaning about the abbreviation of the word "and," and that was just so obviously filler. Kathy tells him to kill these jets. Do you think he? Uh, do you think that, he, that was all improvised? No. The way we just said. Just make up some banter. <laughs> yeah, top bants, please, Ryan and Kathy. In comes Gary looking quite pleased with himself for some reason. What's happened to you, says Kathy? Your face is covered in jam. Gary hands over Alex's passport and post office card. A loan shark had them, but Gary got them back. He didn't win money on a scratch card. He got a loan, and Gary tells him to pay it back fast. Yeah, Alex. Yeah. yeah. Then in comes Sarah. How'd you get all that jam on your face, she says. And he says he'll tell her at home, and then they leave. Mm-hmm. And Kathy's like, wait a second, we're not done here. Yeah, you were halfway I still through have telling questions me stuff. <laughs> about all of this. How do you know? How were you able to get it back? You know, how did he get, how did Alex get mixed up with a loan shark anyway? Which is a bit unfair because, yes, while that loan shark was there to rough up Gary and get his money from Gary, he was also just randomly there on the street and Alex just happened to walk by. Yeah, it was, which it, could it happen. wasn't premeditated at all. Right. But yeah, but. Gary tells Kathy that the loan shark's name is Rick something. Neelan. Rick Neelan. What's Kathy going to do with that information? She doesn't so know. So she who, knows. So she knows who to pay. Some guy called Rick Neeland? Right. How am I supposed to find out where he is? We have this wonderful thing now. It's called 
the internet. Oh yeah, because he's advise he's advertising his business online. No, but he's hi, probably- my name's Rick. I'm a fucking loan shark. <laughs> I'll probably find a number or something. Give him an oh one six one. No, I don't think that's going to happen at all. And Alex obviously knows how to get a hold of him. Alex doesn't need to get a hold of him because he had his bank card. Yeah, I don't know. Again, the closer you get to the problem, <laughs> <laughs> the bigger it appears. Then back home, Gary doesn't know where to begin. Sarah asks if he fucked the factory roof because the cops will want to talk to him about it. It was sabotaged, and Gary insists not. Then why did you run? asks Sarah. Gary explains about the loan shark and Alex, and Sarah wonders why he did all this for Alex, and Gary reveals that he was in debt to him too, and he couldn't be back, and now all his tools, his materials, his van, the kettle, they've all been taken, and he literally has nothing left. He can't even brew a cup of tea. No. So he's no longer English. Sarah's going to leave him, right? Do you think? I am concerned that Gary may not be long for this world. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. Good scotch. That's such good scotch. Mm. Oh, am I allowed to call it scotch? No, it's whiskey. It's good whiskey. It's scotch, isn't it? It's whiskey. Scotch whiskey. Whiskey. So Gary's paid off his loan. We presume that Alex is going to get his loan paid off. Right. That's the loan shark stuff done for now, one would think. No. No? No, because remember he says, I'll see you soon. And he's like, why? I've already paid off my debt. He's like, well, you've paid off your debt, barely. But you still owe me money for Irish Tina. Oh, And for Alex. I thought they agreed not to do that, though. He changed Mm. his mind. Maybe. I hope we've seen enough of this guy, because, like I said, I just find him a terrible villain. You know what I also found weird? Irish Tina doesn't recognize Gary. Irish Tina worked in the knicker factory with Sarah. And Gary was in there all the time, even though he didn't work at the knicker factory. Oh, we haven't had that sort of thing happen for a while, have we? No, because there's no knicker factory anymore. So finally, thanks to the roof collapse and the days of people who don't work at the knicker factory being at the knicker factory seem to be over. Correct. Hmm. Still, I found it very odd that Irish Tina doesn't say, Gary, I know you. Because that would have oh, blown you're the whole Sarah's. thing. Oh, you're Sarah's. You're Sarah's yeah, man. It, yeah, because that would have blown the whole thing would wide it? open, I think. Why? Because then Irish Tina would know. But she would then want to thank him or something and would come back and would tell everybody. But then again, everybody already knows now. Yeah. I don't think this is the last we've seen of Irish Tina, though. They wouldn't. They wouldn't make her the person... Because Gary doesn't seem to recognize her either. No. Which is weird. No, because they don't call each other by name at all, do they? No, and so. there's no facial recognition, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Because... They've probably seen each other before. Yeah, probably quite a bit. I, I'm actually a little amazed that they don't have each other's numbers on their cell phones. Because <laughs> everybody seems to have everyone else's cell number. Yeah, so I'm I'm interested to see what's going down with her. And why she's coming back. And if she's going to bring Tyler. And if he's got like little God glasses no. now. Little glasses for him to study with. And you know. And a book. And if he wears like a, a blazer. And plays hacky sack. Try to think of Where on earth are you going with us? I'm just thinking of all the stuff that I did in college. Oh you did that? What? Wore a blazer and played hacky sack? Yes. At college? Yeah. Oh, it's like I don't know you at all. <laughs> Our next story... It was the 90s. Everyone wore blazers and played hacky sack. Our next story is Tim and Sally. And okay. a little bit of Abby. 
On Monday, Sally and Tim are having some top quality banter about Tim's mint shampoo making his genitals tingly. And Tim he likes it. Tim fancies getting his hole, but Sally's arm is still in the sling though, so she sends him off Plus for a he's cold had shower. A heart attack. Yeah. She sends him off for a cold shower. Fuck that, I'm off to work, says Tim. No sugary snacks, says Sally, and apparently there's no chance of that happening because Steve and Dev are taking this heart challenge so very seriously. Which is good. At Dev's store, Dev is through the back, sitting on the floor doing yoga. And comes Toya allowing Dev to be weird and he shows her the blood pressure monitor, which she seems strangely interested in. Then Dev arrives at streetcars with a blood pressure monitor. He's just shop shop. Fuck it, he said. Let's go into the cab office and goof off for a bit. He has the idea of a test. What is it? asks Steve. It's like an exam, <laughs> explains Tim. <laughs> that was just so good. This I love that. This, oh. this is airplane naked gun <laughs> level of comedy. But again And it's great. They do a good job. They have really good comedic timing, the three of them. Yep. When you get the three of them together, it's just a delight. And I just, I love watching it. The three of them are so good at comedy. Yep. And it doesn't even matter. They could be reading the phone book together and they could make it funny, I think. Because again, it's the timing, it's the acting, it's the rapport and the chemistry in the room. I agree entirely. It's it's also the, the little little throwaways mm-hmm. that are kind of almost mumbled or right. just under the breath that you, you could blink and you miss it. Right. Because that, it's like an exam thing, was, was kind of like, because the, right. the, the conversation was happening, there was stuff right. that was going on, but Tim just threw that out and it it really landed for me. And it was hilarious. It made me chuckle, yeah. Yeah. Whoever has the lowest blood pressure wins. Tenor says I win, says Dev, and Tim's first up. He gets his zen on and his uh, blood pressure is 130 over 80. Not bad. Steve and Dev try to put Tim off and Steve says Tim's dad has proposed to Yasmin and Tim looks like he's having another heart attack just as Sally comes in. She's frantic but he was only joking. She hits him and storms off. I don't I don't see why that would wind him up because Yasmin is definitely the better of that (laughs) because I mean Tim's dad. What a tit. Yeah. Tim and Sally are at home and Tim tries to apologise. Sally thinks this is serious. She says that the reason that she didn't give him his hole earlier wasn't about her arm. She was scared his heart would pack in. Fucking hell, Sal, tickets on yourself much. Eh? She's terrified that he wouldn't come home when he left this morning. He promises to take it seriously, then in comes Dev apologising for the blood pressure monitor. And then Tim heads off for work. Again. Dev, remarkably, is still at streetcars, but now he's dressed as a Frenchman. Was he always dressed as a Frenchman? Yes. Was he? Yes, he's, he's that's li- how he dresses to do yoga. He's lying on the floor meditating while Steve tries to antagonise him, but his blood pressure is 111 over 73. Then in comes Liz. Liz is back. Yay! Liz wonders if they have no work to do. <laughs> as Steve <laughs> is getting his blood pressure taken, Liz tells a story which seems to culminate in her catching him masturbating when he was 14. <laughs> Steve's blood pressure shoots up and Dev wins a bet. Yes, and Liz loves this. This this was very much a willing participant in this. And again, it's just, it's so funny and so natural, Mm -hmm. you know. Dev is getting his blood pressure taken again. Tim has brought in Evelyn to complain about his yellow label prices and Kathy's incompetence and apples that are winking at her. Dev's blood pressure goes (laughs) to the roof and he leaves. Then Tim's home just to find the games that they were playing today. It was either that or Jammy Dodger Olympics. He promises not to complain about healthy eating again and will go power walking with her tomorrow. Oh. 
On Wednesday, there's this brief subplot that runs on the back of another story that ends up with Kev not giving Abby her old job back because he doesn't have the money or the work, but he does give her a lead about a mate of his who has a garage and is looking to expand and Abby is made up by this. Mm-hmm. That's Wednesday. Mm-hmm. It was like three or four scenes, but that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, and it was and it was lovely and, you know, and there's some banter in between the two of them and, you know, he's going to buy her a pint and then she says, don't get me a pint, find me a job. And then he, he ends up getting her getting her a genuine lead and she seems genuinely made up about it. Oh, very much so, yeah. Gives him a hug and a smooch as opposed to a punch in the punch face. In the face. <laughs> then on Friday, Abby's all dressed up for this interview with this uh, garage. Yeah. Is it a bit much, she asks? It's a bit little, says Sally. And she right, offers one yeah. of her own trous- trouser suits, but Abby doesn't want to look like Margaret Thatcher. No, she's wearing like a half top thing and a mini skirt and everything, so... She looks like she looks like Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman. Yeah, she has a definite prostitute look about her. Yeah, and it's like it, there's got to be a middle ground between Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman and Margaret Thatcher. There's got to <laughs> be a better '80s equivalent that we can think of. It's uh, Julia Roberts, Margaret Thatcher, Rainbow folks. It's that's the spectrum, right? Oh, probably it's Meg Ryan somewhere in the middle. Yeah, she she ends up dressing okay. She's mm. in heels. It's still not great. But it's better. So Abby is off to her interview. Sally thinks the skirt is on the economical side. <laughs> she tells her to break a leg, which she might just do in those heels. Correct. Later, Abby meets Sally at the Rovers. The interview went great, but she's not got her GCSEs and they had minimum qualification requirements and there's not a damn thing she can do about it. And Sally sucks a thoughtful tooth about this. Mm-hmm. As Sally is wont to do. Another over, yeah, you just know this is something mm-hmm. that Sally's going to get involved in. Yeah, it's going to and be another happens. project. That's what happens at the rover. Sally enlists the help of Brian to help Abby set her GCSEs. Brian's never thought about private tuition before, but he could probably help her with her English and maths. Abby isn't interested, but Sally tells him to take a seat anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yep. So if this is going to be about Abby getting her qualifications and stuff... I'm delighted. I'm in on this. Yeah. I like this story. This is good. This is about the only thing on Friday that happened that I actually approved of. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Oh, God, I hated Friday's episodes, and I didn't oh. enjoy Wednesdays either. But Fridays in particular, oh, dear God, Wednesday was Godfather 2 stuff compared to Friday. They can't all be good. They can't all be good, no. Then our next story is just a quick one about uh, Secret Robert. Just happened on Wednesday. Robert turns up to the bistro and Michelle gives him a hard time. Daniel called in sick, and if it wasn't for her, the place wouldn't have opened. Robert is apologetic, but it isn't good enough for Michelle, who says maybe he should spend half the time he spends with the ex-cons in the restaurant, and then he'd see what a mess they're in. And then she flounces off. But And then she, he's like, what mess? And she's like, and she kind of seems to walk that mess comment back a little bit. Also, do they have no other wait staff? Is it just the three of them working there? That's not true. Bethany works there. Right. And Kate works there, but she's probably often Right, and then leave. there's a whole bunch of people who work there who don't have a speaking role. Actors in a non-speaking role, yeah. Yes. So I don't understand how nobody was there to help her open. And was she waiting tables, cooking, hostessing, bartending? Was she doing all of that by herself? Seemingly. Hmm. That's what we're asked to believe. Yikes. In the kitchen, Michelle tells Robert about Carla doing a runner and no one knows where she is. She's having a breakdown and Johnny is worried she'll pull an Aiden. 
Robert is concerned but has his suspicions when uh, she was the one that was getting involved in his and Michelle's business that time. Michelle can't believe him and accuses him of naming and shaving Carla and so this is all his fault. Also, there's no way that's a functioning kitchen. There's no way that's a functioning kitchen. No. I mean, he's like, you know, she walks in and he places like a bowl with some soup or something on oh, like the ex on the expediter's row. There are no heat lamps. There's no there's no cooking going on. There's no, no steam. There's no washing of dishes. There's nobody else in that kitchen but Robert. That's a sizable restaurant. There should be more people in that kitchen. It's a... Uh... It's shiny and clean and steel looking. Yeah. That, so that makes it a kitchen, apparently. It, yeah, it looks brings, way too clean and way too unused. He brings back a dish that somebody had complained was undercooked and it was seared tuna. Right. <laughs> yeah. Later, Michelle is still giving Robert the stink eye. She's got a face like a bulldog looking pish off a nettle. She leaves the kitchen and Robert gets a mystery call from someone in distress. He tells him to hold on. He's coming right now. Do you think this is Irish Tina? No. Who is in distress and had to run out and now has no place to go? I don't, think it's, I don't think it's Irish Tina because if it was Irish Tina, then why, when Robert comes back to the bistro with some cock and bull story about a mate who needed moral support changing a tyre, why would he not say at that point, I was Irish Tina, I had to go and see? Because... Michelle wouldn't be happy about that. Oh, she's not happy anyway, so who gives a fuck? Mm. It was very interesting, that scene that we've kind of jumped ahead to now, about when he gets back after this phone call. Yep. Because, once again, it was a man who was caught out in a lie by the state of his hands. Mm-hmm. Having clean hands. Twice. Twice this year. Twice this week. So I thought that was a very interesting callback. You know, two very specific men who may or may not have had something to do with the roof, both being called out. Oh, good spot, that, yeah. For clean hands. Mm -hmm. So is that supposed to imply to us that they're both guilty or that they're both not guilty because they have clean hands? Well, if their hands are clean, then that should suggest that they're not guilty, yeah. Right. Hmm. Has Corey as deep as that? Do you think that's a little Easter egg that they would put in? Maybe. Again, it's like that whole, you know, somebody has to pay thing. Call back. It happens sometimes. And I don't know, maybe because my brain is so laser focused on Game of Thrones Easter eggs that I'm seeing Easter eggs all over the place and everything else. But it seems very, it seems like they're trying to tell us something with this. Because for, for two different characters... To have a comment about their clean hands in the same week. To call them out in a lie. I think it's the same day, wasn't it? I think the Gary one was Wednesday as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I... Because he slept in the van on Friday. Right. That that seems to not be a mistake or a coincidence. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. That's curious because Robert's definitely up to something. And Gary and is being, definitely up to something. And being secretive. Right. Which would lead me to believe that he's not got anything to do with the, the factory. Because it's too obvious that he's been sneaky. Right, which is why I think it was either one of his ex-cons or Irish Tina on the phone. Maybe. Hmm. Let's jump on to our next storyline, which is around uh, the naming ceremony. Ugh. This was just on Friday. Ugh. 
Daniel and Sinead are at home. He's booked the bistro and a guitarist for the naming ceremony. And we get a strange detail about the guitarist. Yeah, he's he a He looks student. like a nerd. Yeah. Yeah, he's a nerdy student. Kind of like yourself, Daniel. <laughs> Sinead wants her Auntie Beth to read some poetry at the ceremony. Apparently she's written some in the toilets at the factory. She ha, just, ha. Um, another thing that's lost to the ages. <laughs> Beth's poetry written on the toilet wall in the factory. Aw. She just wants There once her. was a man from Nantucket. Well, the one that she starts is, there once was a man from Venus who had it, and then she's cut off. All right. <laughs> she just wants her family to be involved, and Daniel's, yeah, yeah, I suppose yeah, so. Yeah, I guess I suppose both so. families yeah. should be involved somehow. He begrudgingly says. <laughs> At the factory slash community centres, the Knicker people are talking poetry. Kirk remembers a poem from School Assembly. Sally asks him to read it, but it's in a made-up language for some reason. Kirk says he thinks it's Dada. Beth tells Sinead that it should be a christening, and Sinead admits that she hasn't told her mum or her gran yet. It does sound like Dada poetry. What is Dada poetry? It's... Is it poetry of sound? It can be, yes. A poetry of just made-up sounds or made-up words put being put together in kind of a wishy-washy way, in a way that creates a musical sound without necessarily meaning anything. That sounds a bit wanky if you ask me. I'll give you a wanky. No? <laughs> Quality. Uh, Sinead is on the phone to her mum asking why she never visited her when she had cancer. Oh no, she's not doing that. She's explaining about the naming ceremony. It seems that Sinead's mum isn't buying into the idea and hangs up on her. Daniel doesn't think they should force them into doing something they don't want to do. Sinead just wants to have a nice day and she's not all that bothered one way or the other if it's in a church or not. Her mom didn't come to the wedding either. No. So she didn't come to the wedding. Or the birth of her grandchild. Birth of her grandchild. Or, you know, visit her daughter. Cancer thing. With cancer. But she's going to show up to this christening, damn it. Yep. So we're led to believe. Then Beth is walking her dog when she bumps into Ken. She wonders what he thinks about the naming ceremony. And he says that he didn't think she was a religious type. Beth, she says, is there for God. Ken thinks that baptism is sacred and shouldn't be done lightly. And Beth, for some reason, calls him a pagan for this and goes off, leaving Ken to step in Peanuts shit. <laughs> what we assume is Peanuts shit. Yeah. Which I'm just, just delighted. Really? Yes. Ken stepped in dog poop? Yes, of course I am. I don't want to see that. It, still, it made me happy. The council is cracking down on this sort of thing, says Ken, and he tells her to clean it up. Uh, apparently, the council's even offering council tax rebates to people who shop offenders. And he gives Beth a poop bag which, and gets her to pick it up. Which, what is this? Communist China? <laughs> if, you, if you snitch on your neighbours for dog poop, <laughs> we will reward you. The, the council, what were... What I believe we're being asked to believe here is that the council has set up a scheme which presumably costs money, right? Because mm-hmm. it has to be manned and it has to be right. There has to be people involved in it. Mm-hmm. So here's a here's something that's costing the council money. It is unhygienic. And they're going to reduce the amount of income that they then take from the people who live within that catchment area mm-hmm. by giving them a rebate, right? For the dog shit thing. Yeah, for stitching on their neighbours. How, how can this possibly work out financially for the council to do this? It's just 
it's just a nonsense, isn't it? Right. Because again, this is not communist China. In the pub, Daniel is lecturing Sinead about her family. Oh. <laughs> if they let them make this decision about the christening, where will it end? What wallpaper they have? Where they can go on holiday? Because that's the logical conclusion of where that train of thought's going to go. Right, yeah, because, you know, they're going to go on holiday with you? I don't think so. And you guys are too poor to go on holiday Anyway, this is the thing that just really annoys me about Daniel and 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 <laughs> Ken. Um, they're just as zealous in their, I don't want to call it atheism because Daniel at least seems to be kind of spiritual. Like he does seem to like the idea of paganism, even though he doesn't obviously really understand what it means because of that stupid wedding he put together but well, because there are no actual pagans at this pagan wedding they had and but we're not going to get into that but he seems just as as zealous and firm in his beliefs as he's accusing the tinkers of being with this whole oh your family is just so rigid and stuck in their ways and they they should adapt to new ways, like me, because obviously that's so much better. Well, being an atheist and being religious is they're both positions of faith, right? You either have a faith in something, or you have a faith that, that something doesn't no, exist, right? And it's okay, it's okay. Both both are okay. You know how you how you practice is the way that you practice, and nobody should be calling you out on it who don't practice the way that you practice but to be because you know repeatedly daniel keeps saying to sinead oh well you don't believe in god do you and she never really answers well, i thought she did i thought she did she really. did she did the week before where she's like well i guess not but you know how she is with him where she just kind of lets him have his way with things yeah. and doesn't argue you know it's like how dare they believe in something that I don't, and it's unreasonable for us to, you know. Well, it's just the pomposity of the barbels, isn't it? Yeah. Why is it that Peter's not smart and pompous? Why is it that he's just a blowhard that's a blowhard? <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Sinead points out that they hardly see the family anyway, but they're due to see them tomorrow and they'll make Sinead miserable. Daniel points out that this will make him miserable. Who the fuck cares? You aren't the one who gave birth to that baby <laughs> while having cancer. Sinead wonders if Billy could help them out on the cheap. They can do the church thing before the naming ceremony thing, and Daniel reluctantly agrees. Right, because at first he's like, well, there's nothing we can do. We've already paid for this naming ceremony. Who has he paid for this naming ceremony? He says he's paid the bistro, but he works at the bistro. Yeah. And you're meant to be sick, you piece of shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've called in sick. And, and also, I mean, does he pay this guitarist, who's a nerd, in his school? Beth sees Sinead and Daniel on the street. Beth is pleased to hear that they're going to have the church thing after all, and then the naming ceremony thing after. And she agrees to read a poem, as long as it's not too poncy. And then Beth photographs Claudia's dog taking a shit on the street. Is it Claudia's dog or is it Eccles? It's Eccles. Was it Eccles? I think so. 
Because Claudia doesn't have a dog. Oh, no. Claudia's too fabulous for a dog. So then Ken and Claudia are talking about Bertie's christening, and Claudia isn't a religious person, and she always feels judged in a church. She hopes her sins don't find her out one day. And in a booth, Beth is phoning the Poop Patrol hotline. So her sins... obviously there's a Poop Patrol hotline. Her sins are going to find her out. Right. She didn't pick up Echo's shits. And she doesn't like to feel judged. One of the most judgy characters... Oh, just a bit. On the street. Just a bit. Doesn't like to feel judged by a, by a building. Yeah. And by the stained glass. Stained glass. The characters in the stained glass window always seem to be looking at your soul and they don't like what they see. Well, maybe you should do something about that, Claudia. <laughs> and then our next storyline is... Our penultimate storyline is just a few scenes from Friday about Seb and Eileen. On Friday... Jan runs into Eileen's at Roy's Rolls. He's looking for a place to live, and we know how this is going to end. By the end of the episode, <laughs> he's going to be at Eileen's. For now, though, he'll let Seb know if he finds any work for him. Then Eileen and Seb are heading home. He's had an interview, and the, uh, whoever he's been seeing will be in touch, which he thinks means that he hasn't got a job. Eileen needs some cash, and Seb understands that she needs a paying lodger. He's willing to move to the front room where Sean used to stay to free up his bedroom. Then Eileen floats the idea of Jan moving in, and Seb seems to be his piece about it, and he thinks it'll be a relief to him because he'll stop feeling guilty. Right. And they make comments about Sean being able to live in a postage stamp and, and not needing a lot of space. Isn't Sean kind of fabulous? Yes. That then doesn't it... suggest kind of minimal living, does it? Can no, nothing about, nothing about Sean implies minimal living. To me, although you know he was homeless and he didn't drag a whole bunch of clothes around with him. When That's he was pretty homeless. minimal when you think about it. Yeah. Hmm. Then Jan is moving into Eileen's, and we learn that he's learned English from Sherlock Holmes. In comes Seb, and Jan has had an idea where Seb's work is concerned. Out the back, he has a bike with a wee wooden trailer at the back of it. He suggests that Seb could carry out odd jobs and carry his tools about. He put up a sign in the cabin: "People are always needing stuff done," and Seb is yeah reasonably grateful. Yeah. He doesn't shoot the idea down completely. But I mean, Jan tells this beautiful story about growing up in Poland because he's Polish, not Bulgarian. Yep. We're sorry. Um, <laughs> and and everything about, you know, traveling around and doing odd jobs. And now look at him now. And um, Seb's like, yeah, but this isn't Poland. Yeah. And they and then they have a very interesting interaction about why Jan is living in England and, and everything. And Seb's like, what? To have a better life. And Jan drops a pretty sick bird about about that. Oh, yes. I, the streets are paved in gold. Are, I heard the streets were paved in gold, blah, blah, blah. Then he's like, of course it wasn't for a better life. It's for more money. It's for more money. Yeah. Very interesting social commentary there. Coronation Street. It was interesting that they actually took that path and not gone down the I came for a better life sort of thing. It's very practical. Yeah. So our final storyline tonight. Oh. Oh dear God. This is one of the worst things I've ever seen. I just, it it makes me weep. It Uh, makes me weep. And I've seen Coneheads and Coneheads too. And this still. I am an illegal alien. Stop it. Stop it. This is Chesney and Gemma's caravan adventures. Oh. <laughs> you, 
Yes, I can still find something funny in Coneheads. And I don't find anything funny in the storyline. So we start on Wednesday. Chesney's home and his house is a wreck again. Gemma, it seems, has been packing everything for their caravan holiday. Chesney's got it all booked up and outside there's a scabby old caravan hooked up to Chesney's car. It's got a weird smell. Yeah, it smells kind of weird like fruits of the forest, says Ches. Once I've farted a few times, you'll be lucky to smell anything, says Gemma. Pretty much. Hmm. And she packs the TV. Yeah, and that's, or, that's how it begins. Yeah. Ches is showing off the and horrible... pants. Yeah. Ches is showing off the horrible caravan to Joseph who wonders what the smell is about. Outside, Emma's passing by and Chesney reveals that although neither he nor Gemma have said so, this caravan holiday is pretty much make or break time as far as their compatibility is concerned. Haven't we already done that? Haven't we already established that? Wasn't that the storyline last week? And the week week before? before? Yep. Haven't we done this? Out comes Gemma. What the hell? With a lamp for some reason. And they all get in the car ready for the off. But the car's fucked. Kev says it has a faulty starter motor and there's nothing you can do until tomorrow. Joseph just wants to stay at home. Along comes Abby and she says that she can take a look at it. That's great, says Gemma, because Joseph will be gutted if they don't go. Uh, no, mm, won't, no. says Joseph. No. So Abby takes a look at it and along comes Kev again, who, let's not forget, is too busy to look at the car until tomorrow. Right. Gemma says that Abby thinks Kev is full of hot air. Abby insists that she didn't say that and Sally says she was just giving a second opinion. Kev thinks he's experienced enough to recognise a dodgy starter motor when he sees one, but Abby has identified the real problem. It's a loose connection on the battery. The car starts and Kev will buy Abby a pint. Abby wonders if this means that she'll get her old job back. Kev will buy her a pint. Right, yes. And now remember, folks, Kev in the storyline says that he can't fix the car tomorrow because he's got way too much work and he only has Tyrone to help him. And yet in the Abby storyline, <laughs> he yes. tells Abby he can't hire her back because there's not enough work. Yep. Hmm... The caravan park is the most desolate place in the world. Joseph wants to go home. Ches hooks up the caravan to the electricity and a purple light comes on inside that reminds Gemma of a mate who used to grow their own weed. Ches thinks that must be where the funny smell's coming from and what the caravan's been used for, just like Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. Then it starts to rain and it turns out that the only thing Gemma hasn't packed is waterproof clothing. I'm not sure why it's her responsibility to pack clothing for everyone. Well... It seems it's the insinuation is is that she had them packed, and then she took them out because Chesney was telling her that she packed too much. Oh yeah, right. So and there's an insinuation because Chesney's like, I thought you said there was a wave pool here, out in the middle of nowhere where there's nothing. Nothing. Not a thing. There's not even. There's nothing. It's like a far. It's like a patch of farmland. Yeah, it's a field. It's been fenced off. And some electrical things thrown up mm-hmm. for people who like to sit and look at the, you know, the restaurant isn't there. There's no wave pool. And we're led to believe that she's she's booked them at the wrong place. Oh, she's told Chesney the, the wrong name because I think it was Chesney that booked it. Right. In the caravan, Gemma can't get a TV signal. The money is missing from the Monopoly game. The roof's leaking and then the lights pack in. You've got to be fucking kidding me right now, says Joseph. Mm-hmm. Then later, Chesney and Gemma are arguing about who the winner in charades would be. Joseph has fucked off into the car to listen to music, and they decide to drive into the village to get a pint. Yeah, because apparently when they played charades, Chesney thought to mime the 39 steps. Why would he do the 39 steps? 
What? It's a 1960s movie or what something. What century is he living in? Wasn't it written in 1910 or something? It's a really old book. Right. And a really old movie. And he thought... That's the first thing that came into his mind. Right. Yeah. He thought his kid was going to get that. Oh. Do you remember the... It's, it's, a, it's a stupid joke. It's a stupid joke. There are so many other things that he could have maybe said that would be something that he would get that Gemma wouldn't that's maybe from this century that wouldn't have the line <laughs> well i'm t- tired out from taking 39 steps in place yeah and she's like how was i to know i was supposed to be counting how many steps you took we're meant to find this hilarious and it's not it's, it's not funny at it. all it's 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 painful to watch oh, and this is just wednesday we haven't got to friday yet uh, Mm. But the car is stuck in muddy grass and because comedy, Chesney gets covered in mud when Gemma's trying to reverse. And of course we have no showers or anything. No. So Chesney, with his face all muddy, says that he'll go into town for some provisions, leaving Gemma and Joseph at the caravan. <laughs> and then there were two, says Joseph. Defeated Gemma. Which really freaks Gemma out. The creepy way. Later, Gemma and Joseph are playing poker. Joseph finds it boring, so Gemma decides to spice it up a little. How much pocket money did you bring? She asks. 12 quid. Then Chesney's come back from the village, which is four miles away. He's drenched, but it seems to cleans his face off. And he's got fish and chips. He's got cold fish and chips, and then he discovers that Gemma has taken all of Joseph's pocket money in a game of poker. Chesney's not amused by this, and Gemma doesn't see what the big deal is. Right, she didn't steal it. She won it fair and square. Yeah. From a seven-year-old. Yeah. How can she not see the problem? Ches and Gemma continue to argue during their crappy holiday. Joseph continues to do his best to stay out of it. And then, as though the holiday wasn't bad enough, now Joseph has done a shit and it won't flush away. <laughs> Joseph kind of saves this a little bit on Wednesday because Joseph is great. Yeah, a little. He's the only one that comes out with pass marks on Wednesday. Yeah. Here we go on Friday. It's still raining at the campsite and Gemma is bored out of her tits. She thinks that they should go home, but Chesney thinks that would be a bad example it's set for Joseph. Plus the car's still stuck in the mud. Chesney, rather indelicately, tries to get Gemma to go into town to buy some rainwear, but the reason he doesn't go himself is because he doesn't trust Gemma to look after the kid. She susses this out. He even leaves Joseph with Kirk, for God's sake, and storms out of the caravan wearing a bin bag, and she refuses to take his money. Kirk is a much better babysitter than Gemma. Yeah, clearly. Kirk, Kirk knows right from wrong. Mm-hmm. And doesn't want to play beer pong, and doesn't bring beer pong yeah. to a family... Uh, and Gemma uh, gets to the shop and the woman behind the counter looks like a younger Rita and is called Anita, which Gemma finds hilarious. Gemma announces that Rita is in her 80s and Anita becomes fairly hostile after this. Correct. The cagoules are 60 quid, which Gemma thinks is outrageous. Plus it turns out that Gemma's only got some shrapnel in her pockets anyway and couldn't afford to buy them. No, what she can't afford is this goofy head umbrella thing yeah, a, with a Union Jack on it. Yeah, it's a... Umbrella hut. Yeah. Yeah, because the story wasn't painful enough. No. <laughs> now it's got to be visually painful. So Chesney and Joseph are hanging out. Apparently the farmer is going to free the car later on and then they can go for a drive. Joseph is very keen to go on a drive, but on a drive home. Thank yes, you very much. please. He hates it here and Chesney and Gemma don't stop arguing. Chesney says that they fell out a bit. He gets cross with her from time to time, but he cares for her. And Joseph, again, pretty much the only character that comes out of Friday's episode with pass marks, Asks if Gemma knows that. Yeah. And Chesney sucks a tooth. 
So like you said, Gemma's bought herself a Union Jack umbrella hat and is stomping through a field. She gets a text from Chesney saying that they need to talk, but then Gemma sees a pub, the Soggy Dog. It's an old man's pub and they stare at Gemma as she comes in, then Gemma remembers that she doesn't have any money, so she challenges one of the patrons to a game of darts, and we're supposed to believe, based on how she throws a dart, that she's any good at it. That, that wasn't a very good throw though. It was awful, she kind of jumped. Like, wild all over the all over the place. And, I mean, she seems to she seems to go in there because, I mean, the we need to talk text message. Yeah. That kind of implies that Chesney wants to break up with her. Correct, yeah. So she doesn't want to go back to that. If he had worded it differently, none of the rest of what happens on Friday, which is an atrocity, would <laughs> have happened. He doesn't need to send the text. No. Just let her come back. Yeah. She was on her way back anyway. Right. So somehow Gemma has charmed all the locals as she regales them with stories about some guy climbing up a balcony or something. Then <laughs> uh, she instructs the barman to put her pint of bitter in her Union Jack umbrella hat and says that she'll drink it out of that and she won't spill a drop. Fiverr says that she'll do it. And the locals, who have lower IQs than Gemma, fall over themselves to get in on that wager. Well, they're they're not thinking with with their top heads, let's just say. They're falling all over themselves because they're old old men and Gemma is a young woman. You think that's what's happening? Yeah, who can drink them under the table and they find it charming. And oh, they I didn't pick up on that at all. Yeah, that's, that's what's going on here. This is... So Gemma proceeds to drink the umbrella pint. And the next we see one of the locals tries to drink his pint from the umbrella, but he makes a mess of it and his beer goes everywhere. And for this, this means that everyone has to give Gemma a fiver. Mm-hmm. So Gemma heads off for a slash, and as as she's at the puggy, she realises that she has five missed calls from Chesney. She calls him back, pretending that she's getting the coats, but Chesney's at the shop, and she's not there. Then he hears the puggy music, and works out that she's in a boozer. Chess thinks that she's hammered. She wants him to pick her up, but Chesney tells her she can whistle out of her arse for all he cares, and she can walk home. Yeah... Gemma is back at the caravan site, and as she walks up to the caravan, I'm wondering why she's walking up to a different caravan. It's the same model, but it's obviously much cleaner and better looked after than the one that she and Chesney have. Right. And of course it's been left unlocked. And even though it's clean and tidy inside and there's even some bunting up, Gemma, because she's pissed as a fart, doesn't notice and goes to sleep on one of the bunkettes. Gemma wakes up to find the caravan in motion, being towed by a Volvo. Stop, she screams, and at this point I think she must realise now that she's in the wrong caravan. Right. But no. (laughs) She thinks she's being kidnapped. Yeah, she calls Chesney and leaves a message that she's been kidnapped. So we're asked to believe... Here is that a nice old couple have left their caravan unlocked while they went off somewhere. They came back, they hooked the caravan up to the Volvo, and they drove off without checking inside. Or locking the door back up. Yep, that's and, what we're asked to believe. And that Gemma wakes up, doesn't notice how clean and tidy the place is, doesn't notice the bunting. And none of her stuff's there. Right. But the curtains are the same, and that's what confuses her. Chess has made it to the soggy dog. He asks if Gemma was in and the bartender reveals that she left a couple hours ago. He wants him to bring her back because she was great for business. All the old guys are in the corner, some are asleep, one can't stand up, and another one has got the Union Jack umbrella hat on. Right, that yeah. That was kind of funny. They, Yeah, he, the, the bartender's like, I've gotten three days money out of just one afternoon because of her, because yep. of your missus. Come back and I'll give you a free pint. The bartender says Gemma said something about where she was going, but she was so pissed that he couldn't understand her. And now, despite thinking that she's been kidnapped, 
Gemma is comfortable enough to fall asleep again. Well, remember, she is hammered. She wakes up and the caravan has stopped. Apparently the old couple have taken it to the garden centre. Because oh. that's what you do with a caravan. You take it to the garden centre. Yes, because of course they're old people, so they went to the garden centre. And they took their caravan with them. So Gemma jumps out of the, the caravan and she gets a gnome and she's about to throw it through the driver's window of the car when the old couple, who must see her standing at the car, use the fob to unlock the door. And Gemma need, doesn't need uh, to be asked twice. She jumps in. And she breaks the gnome. Yep, she drops and it breaks in the ground. Mm-hmm. What do you think? You're doing ask the old man. That's my car. The woman thinks that Gemma is a machete-wielding uh, drug addict. <laughs> Gemma calls them thieves. The man says he's going to call the police, but Gemma calls the police instead, reporting the theft of a caravan. I just... So the police show up and the old people say it's their caravan and Gemma says it's hers and Gemma calls them Bonnie and Clyde and polyester slacks. Gemma's thinking of booze and insists the caravan is Marley's. The old guy has documents in the car that'll prove it's his and Gemma calls Chesney. Ches wonders where she is. He's back at the caravan. But who's that? The penny still hasn't dropped. And how much have you drank, Ches asks. I'm in the caravan right now. Gemma finally twigs that she must have got into the wrong caravan. This is all hilarious. It's not. The cops drop Gemma back at the caravan site. No charges have been pressed. It was a genuine, unbelievable mistake. Mm -hmm. Gemma's sorry. Chess says it was supposed to be a family holiday and she gets bladdered in a pub with a bunch of strangers in the middle of the day. He's had enough. He's heading back to Weatherfield. She can stick her family holiday and her stinking fucking caravan up her arse. Right. right. Up her arse. Second last scene. Nearly got, <laughs> nearly got through this week without anything going up anybody's arse. Back home, Chess sends Joseph upstairs to run his own bath. He's seven years old. Gemma sits down and says it wasn't her fault. Chesney says she went out to get raincoats and came back in a cop car. How's that not her fault? <laughs> she says that she was feeling sorry for herself. The holiday was supposed to make things better, but it's only made things worse. Joseph said the same thing to Chesney, he says. Gemma's sorry, but Ches says that she never learns. She asks if he loves her, and she is who she is because she can't change. He loves her too, but he can't live like this. They hug. Neither can Joseph. They hug, and he tells her it'll be okay. But it's not, she says. And that... Quite unbelievably, that's how we end this week's Right, and episodes. he does the litany of, you know, you leave pizza in the bathroom, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, I can't change who I am. And it's not, we don't want you to change who you are. But maybe just don't eat pizza in the bathroom. Or clean up after yourself every once in a while. That's not, that's, that's not changing who you are. It's like, you know, an alcoholic saying, well, if you love me, you, you, you'd love me in my alcoholism and yep. and everything. It's just, it's the lamest thing Gemma could possibly have said. She has changed who she is. Right. She never used to be this stupid. Thank you. It's just, they've, they've taken this character, this lovable, goofy character, and they're trying to build... A serious story around a lovable, goofy character, but because she's a lovable, goofy character, they have to make her serious story idiotic and make her like stupid instead of just kind of gobby. What's what's going on here? Because this is I love Gemma. I love that character. I think she's a hoot. I think she gives breathing room to the show. And I hate what they've done to her. I hate this version of her. I hate this version of her. And they need... 
There are certain characters in the show, as there are certain characters in every show, that aren't meant to be main characters, that aren't meant to be a, you know, a serious thing. They're supposed to be tertiary. They're supposed to be kind of on the side. And they, they serve as the Greek chorus of the show, if you will. And this, the show has tried to shove Gemma out of the Greek chorus and into something, I guess, kind of serious. I don't think it's serious, is it? Well, I think the whole, you know, you you know, it it ends up trying to be serious, whereas, you know, they've got to give Chesney a reason why they're not going to work out for him to break up with her when they've worked so hard over months, months and months, half a year to get the two of them together. And then in less than a month, they're going to split them back up again. But as soon as they got together... This started to happen because she was messy and he hated her being messy. She did stupid things. He hated her doing stupid things. This would happen through the start of the week and the middle of the week. And by the end of the week, they decide to try again and make it better. But then the same thing would happen the week after. It would be something different. It's like they want to do something with these characters. They want to give them more time, but they don't know what to do with them. Because they're not meant to be given this much time. Neither of the characters are. And it's not a question of them being good actors or bad actors no, or whatever they're good it's, just, actors. it's, it's just, just the characters are just the so characters are not built. don't work yeah they're not built for the sort of thing and especially in a week where we have this really heavy important storyline going on and a mystery going on and villainy going on and everything it just seems really misplaced and not necessary we could just have Chesney and Gemma very happily just living together, getting their hole off one another, building a relationship off to the sides, and then occasionally walking in, saying something funny or charming, and then walking back out again. The way Emma and Bethany did this week. Yeah. The way the Three Stooges did this week. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's ways of incorporating humor into a show to give us a break, to give us some breathing room, and then focus us back on the serious stuff that's going on. And it's just... I think they've just changed the character too much to get any more humour out of it. Right. Because she's she's not the character that she was six months ago. No. And this character isn't... I still like her. No. I didn't like her this week. No. I didn't like her today. Today was awful. Just awful. awful. And the way the way to kind of get some seriousness out of this character, the way to kind of make her interesting is to do things like what they did with Gemma and Paul. When Paul came and we found out a little bit about Gemma's upbringing and, and everything. And their, their scenes together can be funny, but kind of biting yeah. at the same time. And they still work really well. This whole relationship with Chesney just it doesn't it doesn't work. I and mean, it's knew it like, work. It's like they invested all of this time to get them together. And then once they got them together, they were like, Oh crap, now what do we do with these two characters that yep. we've put together that obviously aren't going to work? I think there are ways they could have made it work 
they could that they could have done a little bit of odd coupley sort of things. Those sorts of situations can work, but you don't have to go over the hill vaudeville slapstick to make it work. For the love of God, we had mud coming from a spinning tire going into somebody's face. That's that's the level that we're at. But I'm pumped to sh- or you know Joseph pulling out the the beer pong and saying, "Oh, I want to play this." And Chesney freaking out and Jeva saying, oh, well, I brought that for later. Ha ha, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. They could have very easily played beer pong with soda or something. And it would have been a lot more interesting than charades. And charades and the whole 39 steps thing. Who wrote that joke? Who wrote it? Do they Are they employing 80-year-old men on the show <laughs> now? And then the whole just these cliches of you know the dotty old couple in the volvo who stop at the garden center on their vacation and then the little old lady says watch out i think she's one of them drug addicts we hear so much about blah 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 you know and it's just the whole interaction was just painful moment of the week ken stepping in dog shit really It, it brought me joy it was the only thing that I could hold in my hand and say, this gives me joy in the whole show. Oh. <laughs> That's why I was laughing. Early. That's disappointing. Um, I can't think of anything else because the only thing that I enjoyed was Joseph saying to uh, to Gemma that, and then there were two. That made me laugh. Oh, or you know what? But I'm no, hesitant no, no, no. to give a, a anything to that storyline. Or, or uh, you know what? Moment of the week. Evil Grand coming in and and raising Dev's blood pressure. That was good. I liked that. That whole that 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 comedy shtick really worked for me. I'm happy with that in the dog shit. Yeah. Okay. So that's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. So much was boring. Is it? Do we do we give it to Ken explaining the whole tax scheme about dog poop in? Weathersfield, which is in communist China now. Weathersfield? You know it, Weatherfield. <laughs> Do we give it to Chesney trying to explain what 39 steps are to Oh, that was, that was dreadful. Was it boring? It was more annoying than boring. I, I, there was bits of that I just couldn't watch. It was, it was painful. Yeah. <sighs> Um, yeah, we need to punish that storyline. Let's make that our... Boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. The 39 steps. Okay, okay. Shall we wrap this up then? Yes, please. If you find yourself trapped in the back of a moving caravan, please don't drop us a line. Stay calm and call the police. For any other circumstance, you can get us on email and Skype or on the talk of the street at gmail.com or Twitter and Facebook is at Corey Podcast. And we have a blog at the talk of the street podcast wordpress.com that much has been quite decent at updating recently well done you thanks for making it to the end of another episode we will be back next week with more talk of the street and hopefully better content yep. bye cheerio This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers.
Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.